Hi, everybody. Thank you. That's enthusiastic for week nine. Look at y'all go. You're like professionals now, I have to say. This whole Ecclesiastes thing ain't nothing, right? Nothing. As I speak about a lesson titled, It Takes a Funeral. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Last week, lesson eight, we talked about the chase, and we talked about how we change direction in the midst of it, right? And we talked about how satisfaction and meaning in this life, if if it's only based on the things that change, then we're in trouble, right? And and this is me paraphrasing our friend King Solomon, right? Well, this week, uh, this lesson I mentioned is titled, It Takes a Funeral, one of our family acronyms. Um, It's about uncertainties of life. It's about the certainty of death. It's about how we grapple with truth and purpose and hope and circumstances and consequences and love and reason and joy and satisfaction all wrapped up in the things that we know about this life. That's what this, this particular lesson teaches us today. Um, it's interesting. Uh, <laughs> I, on the way here, I sent out a 911 text to a little handful of people who pray for me and I said, I need it today. It's been a morning. And, and then I'm driving along and... Uh, I can feel the prayer because as I, as I kept going down the road, I, I went from crying and yelling to laughing about this day. And, and then I remembered all the things that I'm about to step in and teach. And it's like God going, see, told you. You see, here's how my day started. Okay, ready? And you probably had a similar day. If it wasn't today, it may be tomorrow. Um, and if it wasn't puppy vomit, it might be something else. Here's a, here's a couple, I'm just gonna give you a little laundry list of how my morning began. I mentioned the first puppy vomit, that was precious. Um, I couldn't get my contact lens in, I decided I think it's broken, I don't know, torn or whatever you people say that do contact lenses, couldn't get them in, so I was all mad, throwing things around in my bathroom. My husband calls me contact lens Chris, lens Chris when he comes in, he's like, oh, we're having one of those mornings. So I'm like, we are, step out, you need to go. So my contact lenses don't work. Um, Then I'm rushing out the door and I lock myself out of my house, okay? Husband's in the shower, dogs are inside barking at me. I'm trying to figure out what I'm gonna do. Can't scale a fence, because then it would be really bad. So I go around to this back side of the fence where we have a keypad and and I'm trying to get in and everything. And then as I'm getting in, my pants rip. I won't tell you where they ripped. I'll just tell you it's really great that I have on a long jacket, because I didn't change. So. Puppy vomit, contact lens broken, I locked myself out, I tore my jeans, all on the way to an appointment before I got here, and guess where that was? It was with an accountant. Do y'all know me? I mean, if you don't know me, I'm telling you right now, numbers are not my thing. Um, and so I'm, on, I'm driving on the way to this appointment with an accountant, and I'm like, I have to laugh now. I don't know if my neighbors would appreciate all the things that were happening before I got in the car, but like, I was just laughing going, Life is unpredictable, life is uncertain, right? And then, just on the heels of my week, um, and I'm not just, you know, you don't have to cry for me, I'm just telling you, like this is how every day goes, we all have these days. Um, I spoke at a funeral for a friend on Saturday, unexpected, a peer, she was younger than me actually. And my friend who I grew up with, her husband, he asked if I would speak on their family's behalf to honor her. And uh, I first thought, well, no. (laughs) Who wants to do that? But then I thought, there's no greater honor 
There's no greater gift. And so I'm coming off of this week where I'm thinking and praying and talking through all these things with God about how death is unavoidable and life is unpredictable and they didn't see this coming. And this beautiful woman of faith is now in heaven with her savior, praise God. But I'm rolling through all of this this week. And then I open my lesson and I'm like, oh, I see you. (laughs) It's like he he knew (laughs) what this week would be like. Well, my friend Shayla, who I got to speak at her funeral, you know what she said? She had, I got to talk to her kids. I got to talk to her husband and her family and spend time with them. And you know, one thing that she lived by was this idea. Lord, please remind me that nothing that will happen today that you and I cannot handle together. Nothing that we have to face today, puppy vomit, contact lenses, accountant meetings, we can't handle without him. I, I just was overwhelmed by that because then I step into this lesson and I'm like, yeah, that's what Solomon wants us to understand too. So we're gonna look at um, Solomon's words and how um, he wants us to understand some things about this life. We're gonna look at four things. We're gonna look at how death is unavoidable. We're gonna look at how life is unpredictable. We're gonna discuss how life is uncertain. And then lastly, how life is a gift. Death is unavoidable, life is unpredictable, life is uncertain, and life is a gift. If you haven't already, go ahead and open up your Bibles. I had you going a lot of different places in Ecclesiastes this week, didn't I? We don't have much left. Did you notice? You're like, wait, hold up, we're almost done. Yeah, we are. In fact, this next week, you're gonna go backwards and look at chapter 10. Do y'all just get crazy when I do that to you? (laughs) I know you do, I know you. You, Some of you come up to me afterward and go, that is not friendly. But don't worry, you're gonna have time to hit chapter 10. But this week, we're gonna look at some uh, portions of chapter 11, I mean chapter nine, and then also we're gonna jump over um, to chapter 11 and chapter 12, okay? So go ahead and open up to chapter nine right now. We're gonna take a look at Solomon's declaration to us that death is unavoidable. Death is unavoidable. I'm gonna read a couple verses and I'm gonna pause, okay? So look, we're gonna look first at verses one through three where, where Solomon's basically telling us, hey guys, we all die, Okay? Seems, seems like logical enough, but I think it's interesting how he phrases it. He says this in verse one. But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and to the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner, and he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. Verse three, this is an evil, and all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live, and after they go to the dead. Okay, pause. So he had a lot to say right there, right? The first thing he says is that we all die. The message says it like this. I find this outrageous. The worst thing about living on this earth is that everyone's lumped together with one fate. Do you ever feel that way? Everyone's lumped together with one fate. It doesn't seem fair. I think about this. I think about him telling us here, well, let me me take a show of hands, okay? How many of you are rule followers? Look at the high and proud hands raised. See, the thing about rule followers is you all raised your hand very quickly and very high, right? <laughs> How many of you are rule benders? Oh no, they're also proud. That's a little scary. Yeah, most of them are kind of like, that's me, you know. 
There's a couple in the back. I saw you very proud about that. But here's the thing. It's like everything happens the same, right? We all face the same ultimate death. Rule followers, rule benders, righteous, wicked, good, bad, worshipers, non-worshippers, dog people, cat people. Amen, anybody? <laughs> that wasn't even funny. Y'all didn't even think, you cat people are that mad about that comment? <laughs> I, I told you, I had to clean up dog vomit today. So I need you to have a little grace. Murderers, the people that were murdered, liars lied to, wine drinkers, wine avoiders, abusers, the abused. We could go on and on. We all face the same fate. Solomon's helping us understand that and face that, okay? Verses four through six, he goes into this point though, but there is hope. If we ended the story right there, that'd be pretty depressing, but we don't. Verses four through six go like this. He says, but he who is joined with all the living has hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. I'm gonna hit that in just a minute. Verse five, for the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have, they have no more reward for the memory of them is forgotten. Verse six, their love and their hate and their envy are already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. There is still hope. The reason he uses this example here of the living dog and then the dead lion, you can understand this. At the time, dogs were not cool like they are now where they were on the furniture and stuff, Okay. Back then, they were scavengers, and, and they would, be, would have been thought of poorly. You know, people don't want them around. And so basically, what, what Solomon is trying to help us understand, even a dead king of the beast, the king of the jungle, is a lot worse off than, than, a, than a live scavenger. You know why? Because there's hope. Favorite lyric of mine is, every breath is a second chance. And that's true. That's what Solomon is saying. Every second we are alive, there is hope. You have loved ones, you have people in your, in your life that, that you feel like are so lost, they're so the prodigals and, and those who have turned their back on the faith and those who are running far from God and you think there is no hope. Every breath is a second chance. There's hope until it's over. That's what Solomon is saying to us, that despite the fact that we all face the same fate, there's always hope if we're still alive. Verses seven through 10, he goes into these common experiences. You talked about them in your homework a little bit. I think, um, yeah, I actually had you read it in the message in your homework, but there's these, con these, these common experiences that we all can understand even if we're not in Solomon's tax bracket, okay? So I'm gonna roll through a couple of them. Verse seven, he starts with this. He talks about how, go, eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart for God has already approved of what you do, okay? He said, we all die but there's still hope. In other words, therefore, now what we have to do is enjoy this life, okay? So when he talks about the meals and the drinking wine and the celebration, don't get all caught up on the wine part. Think of it this way, that this is basically um, him, him telling us that there's these communal acts of friendship and commitment and we need to enjoy them and be present in them. I think of it this way, I think about like, um, that, that at the time, wine was simply a drink, okay? It wasn't about drunkenness. Drunkenness is a sin. It was about enjoying the time. Whenever um, I think about celebrating, you know, I always think about like in my cabinet at my house, I've been married for, I don't, I don't know, a lot, told you I don't do math. A lot of years I've been married. And I have these beautiful like china, anyone? Like when you got married back in my day, you registered for China and you registered for um, Crystal, right? All the things that we never use, amen, right? I still, I told you the other day, I was telling my husband, we, we were gonna have a glass of wine. And I'm like, I'm gonna get down our Crystal. Like it felt like a good idea. 
And then I got up on the shelf and I pulled it down. I'm not kidding. We've been married like almost 30 years. They had, had price tags on my wine glasses. That's so sad. Like, really? And so I started thinking like, what if we pulled down the china? You know, what if we, on Monday night football night, when we have people over and we have pizza, we, we serve it on something wonderful. How about that? You know, what if we enjoy these moments that God's given us to celebrate instead of constantly be rushing through life and not enjoying life? Amen? My stepdad has always said, whenever, um, anytime we would ever go over to his house for any kind of celebration or anything, he'd always have out fine china. Like it was beautiful. Like, and he'd have like, you know, the silverware was always set and the drink glasses and all the things. And I'd always ask him, I'm like, why are you using your fine china? He goes, well, I throw in the dishwasher. I'm like, I thought that wasn't allowed. And he goes, well, it ain't fine china if you can't throw in the dishwasher. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. So get out your fine china, right? And throw it in the dishwasher. Everything's gonna be okay, but be present in the moment. That's what Solomon's trying to tell us. In verse eight, he goes on to say something else. He says, let your garments always be white and let the oil, let not oil be lacking on your head. Special occasions, they wore white. That's a symbol of joy, white. And they were anointed with expensive oils and perfumes whenever there was an exciting event or some amazing festival or something that should be heralded and revered. And so he's basically saying the same thing, like get out your china and get your fancy duds on and enjoy life. Do we stop and pause and celebrate well? Do we put away our phones and get out the china? I, I'm speaking to myself here. This was convicting. I don't. I think I rushed through all these times. I still have breath. I need to enjoy it. Well, Solomon goes on and he says, um, in verse nine, he talks about a faithful marriage. He says, enjoy life with the wife with whom you love all the days of your, of your vain life that he has given you under the sun because that is your portion in life in your toil at which you toil under the sun. What a gift from God a faithful marriage can be. Not all of us are in that phase. Not all of us are in that, in that stage. But if you are, do you appreciate it? Do you stop and do you realize, like, I'm gonna put the work in to make this thing happen the way it's supposed to be, a gift from God, this perfect visual of what, of what God wants us to understand about his son and how he came to this earth is this beautiful imagery through marriage. And so he's saying, listen, remember this, if we think that Solomon wrote this at the end of his life, what do we know about Solomon? Did he have a wife or two? He had a hundreds of them, right? Like he had all kinds of a disaster in that area. So it's almost like I hear him saying, hey guys, this isn't just practical advice. This is like, I've lived it the other way and it didn't work. Live it this way. You can look up uh, Proverbs 18, 22, Proverbs 19, 14. There's all this great information that Solomon himself penned about no matter what, don't give up the ideals of what a marriage should be. It's not just a good practical advice either that God has this perfect plan. That's a command. In 1 Corinthians 7, 3 through 5, Paul tells us that we're to protect it, to revere it, and to live it out. And I love that Solomon, of all people, is telling us that here. Well, the next thing he tells us is that we need to work hard. In verse 10, he says this. He says that whatever your hands find to do, do it with all your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. Sheol, that's the grave, okay? Anytime you see that, that's terming, that's like 
giving you a term for dying, going to the grave. Not the afterlife, okay? It's the actual death. So what he's trying to help us understand here is that, 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 that hard work is a gift as well. See, the Jewish people at the time, when they would have understood this, they would have known that work is a stewardship and it's an honor. It's not a punishment. And, and even in, in Jesus' days, or after Jesus' days, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, Paul says that you work to eat, right? It's important. Everybody knows that you have to do that. Well, listen, um, nowadays, in this day and age, I think we change that up, right? We ignore this part, and we think, what is the least amount of work I can do to get the most amount of stuff, right? And it ain't just the millennials. <laughs> You're welcome, millennials. They give you a hard time. It's all of us. We do that, don't we? We want a shortcut. We want to get around things. And I, I think back to like even God gave Adam a job in the garden, you know? And so Solomon's reiterating that to us. He's basically explaining that, that death is unavoidable, but there's things that we can be doing right now in every breath that we have. I think about, um, there's, there's some old country song that talks about live like you're dying. I don't, I don't like that song. You know why? Don't get, don't get offended. I don't think we should live like we're dying. I think we should live like, like every breath we have matters. Like make the most of it. So don't like sell everything away and go on a vacation. Just work hard, love well, enjoy life. A couple years ago, my husband told me this story. Um, it's so, still the funniest thing. So in 2017, if y'all remember, it's been a minute since, since 2017, right? We've gone through, I don't know, a couple world events. But anyway, 2017, there was this period of time where there was these radical people who believed that, and no offense if you're one of those people, on September 23rd, 2017, the world was gonna end. Does anybody remember this? I mean, people were like, they were, they were all selling everything they had. They were doing all the things to try to be like, well, we're about to be done, and my husband worked with, he had one of his customers was one of those people. If you're one of those people, I'm just, don't tell me. But here's what this guy did, okay? He told my husband this. He said, well, and this was actually after September 23rd, 2017, which makes it an even funnier story. He said, yeah, you know, I just knew and I believed that this was gonna happen, that all signs were pointing to the end of the world was coming. So you know what I did? I went and bought a $180,000 sports car. I just decided, you know what? It's t the time is now. I'm going to live like there's no tomorrow. Well, there was a tomorrow. <laughs> and so this guy was sitting across the table with my husband. I'm like, what did your face say? Because <laughs> I would have been like, what? He goes, man, I just try to keep a straight face. Because this guy is basically telling me, he's Solomon, saying, look, I bought the sports car. Meanwhile, I should have maybe gotten the china down and enjoyed a dinner with my family. Or, or you know, maybe I should have worked a little harder or maybe... Maybe I should have gone about it a little differently. Well, I wonder where that guy is now. I have no idea. But death is unavoidable is what Solomon wants us to understand. Therefore, enjoy life. Don't just endure it. Enjoy life by doing the things that God has given us to do. Don't just, don't just cash it in and don't just hole up in the fetal position. Let's do this life the way he gave it to us to do. Well, Death is unavoidable. We got past that section, thank goodness. Now let's move on to something equally as exciting. Life is unpredictable. Life is unpredictable. In verses nine through, I mean, excuse me, chapter nine, verses 11 through 18, he goes into this next idea that life is unpredictable. We know that death comes to all, but now we get to talk about how life is unpredictable. Again, if you take it at face value, it can be discouraging, but that's not what Solomon wants us to do with this. 
We go in verse, uh, verses 11 and 12. Well, let me read them, and then we'll, we'll talk about the whole time and chance thing real quick, okay? So you can remember that. Verse 11 says this. Again, I saw under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor the bread to the wise, nor the riches to the intelligent, nor the favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to all of them. Verse 12, for man does not know his time, like fish that are taken in an evil net and like birds that are caught in a snare. So the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. Sounds super bummer, doesn't it? Like you read that and you're like, man, Solomon, what? how do we find any good in that? I wanna clarify something for you. That word chance in, in, in verse 11 it can be really easy for us in, in this day and age to like apply some things like coincidence or karma or you know something like that to that word. That's not what that word means. That word means, it's, it's pega is the Hebrew word for that. And that word means an occurrence or an event. So he's saying here, he's not saying that God has no control or that God turns his eye or any of that. He's saying, yeah, God does have control. He controls everything, but he controls time and chance. You do not. I do not. I think about um, the life's unpredictability. I think about the unfairness. It seems so wrong, right? There's so many different stories in our lives that we know that this happens where God interrupts our lives at these unfair and inconvenient times, right? And allows things to happen. There's a great story about a missionary named Jim Elliott. You've probably heard of it before where he prepared for years and years and years to go to these, um, these tribes in Ecuador that, that no people had ever infiltrated these tribes to tell them about Jesus, right? And he works and he goes and he and his team are there. And like I said, they, four years they spend developing these relationships, trying to come overcome the language barrier and finally the American progress. And finally people are starting to understand who God is and who Jesus Christ is and then he is killed by the same tribe that he was ministering to. It's a crazy story. Doesn't seem fair, doesn't seem right. Doesn't make sense, right? But the beauty is that that story goes on and his family returned. And I just think through, like there's so many of those stories. You know, you have them in your lives, I know you do, I do too. But you know there's a lot of those in the Bible too. I throw a couple at you, think about this. Life is unpredictable, things that don't make sense, okay? In the Old Testament, there's this giant guy named Goliath. Anybody ever heard of him? Did you go to Sunday school, right? Everybody's heard of Goliath. Goliath, this big, massive creature, if you will, is brought down by a little, tiny little fella and his rocks, right? That's, that's unpredictable. Nobody saw that coming. I think about Solomon had everything, didn't he? Everything. And his life was a disaster. And he lived to tell about it so that we could learn from it. I think about, um, there's, some, there's some random little people in the Bible that I always just find this fascinating. There's this one story of Joab's brother. It's like in 2 Samuel somewhere, so go look that up. But there's this guy, and his, he's Joab's brother, and you know what he's known for? He's known for being the fastest guy in the Bible. That's quite a, that's quite a moniker, isn't it? it? They said that he was like one of the gazelles is how it's written. You know how he died? A spear through the back. <laughs> he didn't run fast enough. Should have run in a crooked line. I don't know. But it's just so ironic, right? You're like, wait, that, doesn't, that has to be a misprint. It doesn't make any sense. 
What about Absalom? That was David's son. That was one of um, Solomon's brothers. That guy, it was said about him in the Bible, it says this, there wasn't a flaw in him from bottom of the foot to top of the head. And yet the guy ends up being hanged and, and dies hanging from a tree because he became so very evil. Who saw that coming? Not the guy that called him flawless, right? Our lives are full of that. The Bible is full of that. God is not missing. He's fully aware. Hard to understand, though. Verses 13 through 15 go on like this, but I, I want to say it in the message because I think the message says it really um, interestingly. It says, one day when he was talking about this story, you guys covered it in your homework, about the, the wise old guy and then the powerful king, right? Okay, so the message says it this way. One day, as I was observing how wisdom fares on this earth, I saw something that made me sit up and take notice. There was a small town with only a few people in it. A strong king came and mounted an attack building trenches and attack posts around it. But there was a poor but wise man in that town whose wisdom saved the town. But he was promptly forgotten. He was only a poor man after all. Even when you do things that are right, sometimes people won't care. So why do we do things right? So why do we commit to the world that we're just gonna try to be the wise man that gets forgotten versus the rich king that besieged the city? Why? I think about our lives. I think about um, those Goliath and Absalom and all these stories that don't make any sense. I think about places in life that, that, that for us seem unfair, maybe, like we work hard and we're honest and we um, work with honor, but then we get fired. Yeah? Or what about those times in life where, where there's illness, but we get physicals and we take care of ourselves and we haven't ever smoked, drink, or cussed, right? But we end up with cancer. Or what about the places in life that, that there's death, that people live a good and right and honest life, and yet death of people, death of marriages, death of reputations, things happen that do not make sense. Injustice can wreck righteousness all the time, but the real question is what or whom do we depend on? Where do we put our hope in when all these things that don't make sense happen? The world is undependable unless you know Jesus, right? There will never be sense to make of this world. It doesn't mean that you have to understand it all. It just means that you understand that God is not all those things. He's not in all the undependable things. He's the one thing that is dependable even when circumstances do not make sense, even when life is unpredictable. So life is unpredictable. Solomon wants us to know, therefore, do not depend on the undependable. Well, he goes on in chapter 11, and, and he talks us through the idea that life is uncertain. Life is uncertain. We know that, right? We feel that. In verses one and two, he goes into this cast your bread thing. I think you talked about in your homework. Cast your bread upon the waters for you will find after many days, give a portion to seven or even to eight for you will know what disaster may happen on earth. He's talking here about finding this balance. You see, this story would have made sense to the people of the time. It's a little harder for us to understand. When he says cast your bread, he's saying that um, when in, in the time when people would be harvesting or creating um, flour to make bread, they would then have the option to send it off on ships where they would maybe gamble a little bit and perhaps come back with a with a profit. Sometimes it paid off, sometimes it didn't, right? Sometimes there were pirates and sunken ships and all sorts of stuff happened and it didn't work out. They should have just kept it. 
but it's a gamble. So you could keep it and you could make your bread or you could send it off, but you gotta find the balance. You don't let boldness make you make bad decisions, but instead, you've gotta decide what you're gonna do. Life is uncertain. You think about the life of Paul. We talked through that, right? How about that? And that was just like the abbreviated version, right? He knew he was supposed to go to Rome, right? And so in his mind, as the crow flies, I'm guessing he's like, yeah, cool. Okay, I'm just gonna calculate how many lunches to bring and how many bottles of water to hydrate along the way. I know how far it is. Meanwhile, all of those things happened to him on the way to Rome. He could have never seen it coming. He knew that he was supposed to go, but he didn't know that the way God would take him sometimes is what forces us to trust him even more. Do you think about that? Like, I wonder if Paul trusted God more because of the way he brought him to Rome versus Paul's original plan with the map and the hydration plan, you know? That's how my life is too. I think I can look backward and I can think, gosh, I would have never done it that way. And yet, maybe that was making me trust God even more. Life is uncertain. Verses three through four, he talks about that. He says that you're gonna cast your bread, you gotta make some choices in life, you have no idea how they're gonna end. But then he goes into this analogy of the wind and talks about uncertainty. He's basically helping us understand that only certainty in life is that you will die and you will never be given a perfect set of circumstances. Super encouraging, right? (laughs) But it's true. I think about this quote by Ann Voskamp. She's an author and a teacher, and I, I thought this fit perfectly. She said, we only think we might tell the story different because we don't know the same thing that the storyteller knows. You see, we think life is uncertain. We think that we don't know which way to go, and then that should cause paralysis, right? But rather, God knows the whole story, and we can trust him with it. I think of it like this. It's the idea of an even if he doesn't dot, dot, dot way of life even if he doesn't. We gotta live boldly and let God be God. I think about my friend, my friend who asked me to speak at his wife's funeral. That's the way she lived. She had a really debilitating illness for 30 years. You know what he told me, my buddy told me, he said, I knew her for 30 years, there was never one single day that she wasn't in pain, not one, not one. But yet she would look her boys in the eye and tell them every day God is good. And you can have hope. I, I, that's overwhelming to me because the uncertainty of her life, like how do, you, how do you reconcile that with a good God? Solomon's telling us this is how we do it. We trust him. In verses five through six, he continues on. So we've talked about casting your bread, making choices, right? We've talked about the uncertainty of life. It's always gonna be that way. We're never gonna have it all figured out. And then we talk about how we spend so much time toiling over the analysis of it in verses five and six. He says this. He says, as you do not know the way the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with a child, pause, what he's trying to help us understand there is just like we can't understand how that happens. We don't, that is such a miracle that God creates these beautiful babies in the womb. We have no idea how breath comes in and life begins. That's such a mystery. And so Solomon's saying, just like we can't quite understand that, this is a mystery too. 
He goes on and he says, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything, verse six, in the morning sow your seed and at evening withhold not your hand for you do not know which will prosper this or that or whether both alike will be good. It's verse six kind of feels like a therefore, doesn't it, after this whole section. He's saying, therefore, don't freeze, keep going. I think about in this moment of, of scripture, I think about how there are things in the Bible, there are things that we know that are black and white, right and wrong, amen? Some things, right? But then there are some things that are left or right. I mean, that are, you, you turn left or right and they're, they're kind of gray and it's kind of hard to know, yeah? Right or wrong, left or right, it's hard. But what Solomon's trying to tell us here is what we have to do is if there are things that we know are right or wrong and God has said, then we walk in faith and we trust God even when it's hard. But if there's things that are left or right and they're kind of confusing, sometimes we have to step out in boldness and act. Sometimes that's how we find out. I think about um, in life when you're paralyzed and you're uncertain, like, like think about this, like when you're lonely Sometimes that just feels like you feel like it's a left or a right turn. Like, I don't know what to do with that. Then maybe what we got to do is trust God and get out the fine china, invite some people over. I don't know. And just trust. Maybe if, we're, if, you're, if you've lost your job or something, you got to trust God and then maybe work hard to find what's next. Not perfect, just next. I don't know. I think all of these times that God is gonna show us the way, just like he showed Paul the way, even when it's left or right and it's just not black and white. And so when life is uncertain, we need to live boldly, not fearfully. We gotta step out and live boldly and trust him to be the one to lead the way, just like Paul did, even when the path got really confusing, right? Well, the last thing that, that we learn in this section, which is like my favorite thing, is that life is a gift. He wants us to know life is a gift. It feels a little hard to understand after all those other chapter, I mean, after all those other uh, verses, right? But it's true. And he wants us to understand that in verses um, seven through like 12, eight or so. And for the sake of time, I'm not gonna read them all. But we've, we, we're launching into this final carpe diem section. You know, the final section where he's saying, enjoy life, enjoy life, live this life. Every breath is a second chance. Take the moment. In verse seven through eight, he starts us in that section. And he said, light is sweet and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many and that all that comes is vanity. It's temporary. It's a smoke, right? The key is that life is fleeting. We shouldn't postpone things. I thought um, this section broke out into three sections, like uh, the, the three things that we need to remember as we're moving forward and trying to remember life as a gift. The first is in verse nine, and he starts with the word rejoice. Rejoice, young man, in your youth and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Rejoice, that's the first thing we need to do. We gotta rejoice where we are. It doesn't say rejoice when, rejoice if, once you get past this thing. It doesn't say that, right? We want orderly and painless. Um, we want God to explain the why. Instead, we probably need to look at life and say, instead of why, why not me? You know, I, I had this morning and I'm just like, this is the dumbest morning ever. This is wrecking me this morning. It doesn't matter. I know puppy vomit is not a big deal. I get it. Why God though? Why today? I'm trying to get there and 
And it's almost like I hear this echo in my head, why not you? Why not? Why do we think that we, we live a life that doesn't include? So in the midst of it, we need to rejoice, not wait for it to clear. I'm in a place in life right now, if I'm gonna wait for things to clear up, to rejoice, I'm gonna be waiting a long time. Anybody? <laughs> well, the second thing we can understand when we think about life as a gift, we can rejoice, but then in verse, te- verse 10, he tells us the next thing, that we remove vexation from our hearts. Remove. I think of it as this, get on with it. Get on with it. He uses the term there, young man. He's basically trying to help us understand that the youth that we have is transient. And those of us in this room that are laughing about that going, I'm not young. Well, let me give you a fact that you can take with you today. Right now, you are the youngest you will ever be in your entire life, (laughs) right? This is what we got. This is what we're working with. Right now, don't waste it. Don't waste it. I think about my grandpa. He, he's a great example of this story. My grandpa, um, don't waste opportunities, right? Like he, um, I've told this story before. If you've heard it, then good, you need to hear it again. But uh, back before I was born, they lived in Highland Village and that was before Highland Village was a thing. It was just like, it was like a village. It was like there was nobody here. And one night it was a volunteer police department, volunteer fire department, volunteer all the things, right? Just a bunch of folks that would help out when things happened. Well, one night there was a, there was a fire in his garage and his house caught fast. And um, the way my mom tells the story is like they called the fire department, you know, and it's a bunch of, bunch of guys with garden hoses and that thing was gone in minutes, just gone. Everything they had, everything they had, But this is my grandpa, and this is what I know about him because I got to experience this in life later. This is how he approached it. So that night as he watched every piece of everything they owned burn to the ground, turn to ash, the next morning he was the first one on the site and he had a shovel. And my mom and my, my, my aunt were in town at the same time, actually, and they were like, what are you doing, Dad? What are you, what are you doing? Like, we, we, gotta, we gotta figure out what's next. He goes, well, what's next is we shovel. Now we shovel. And my mom tells it like this. She said, there's 12 truckloads of ash loaded in and my grandpa was the first one to start shoveling. And I think about that in life, like you gotta get on with it. There are so many things that if I just sit in them and I fixate on them and I stay frozen and paralyzed, I'm gonna miss every breath I have. This is what I have, this is what we have. We gotta pick up the shovel and move on, right? Well, the last thing that we learn about life is a gift that Solomon tells us is he says that we're to rejoice and he says that we're to remove. And then he says that we're to remember. Remember verse 12, I mean, chapter 12, verse one. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars and the darkened and the clouds return with rain. And then remember, we're not gonna go into this, but he goes into this whole section with all these um, analogies and personifications of things that are basically resembling the idea that, yeah, you're young right now, but you're getting older. Your teeth are falling out. Things are happening, right? (laughs) It's happening. It's okay to call it that. It is what it is. God knows. We're all moving closer to the grave. That's not terrible news, but what it is is what are we gonna do with it while we're here? We remember I like the idea of um, 
The fact that, that, that we remember God, that he says that we remember him. You know why we remember him even in the dark days, even in the uncertain days, even when death is closer? We remember him because he remembers us. I was thinking through that. I was like, he remembers his promises to us, says so in God's word. You can go take a look at Psalm 105, verse eight for that. He remembers his promises for thousands and thousands of generations. And he remembers his children, and that's us. He started that way back in the Old Testament. Like there's a great example in Exodus 2, verse 24, where his, his people were slaves in Egypt and they were groaning, right? And he remembered them. What did he do? He rescued them. And then in Genesis, there's a whole bunch of them. In Genesis 8, there's this guy named Noah. He made a big old boat. Anybody? Probably have it painted on your nursery somewhere. But he remembered Noah and his family. In Genesis 39, verse 2, he remembered Joseph when Joseph was in the pit. God remembered him and he saw him. We could do this all day. And some of us that know our Bibles and that have gone through a lot of these stories can name these things, but sometimes for some reason, we don't apply those to our own lives. I challenge you to go back and look at the places where God has remembered you, where he's remembered the promises, where he's remembered where you are and what you're crying over and what you're walking through, because he does. And so we remember him. He remembers you in your sadness, in your joy, in your abandonment, in your love, in your lostness, in humiliation, in jubilation. Like we can do this all day, right? He's not conditional. He's not selective. Psalm 136 verse 23 says this, his steadfast love endures forever. Sometimes I wake up in the morning, uh, and just like Jackie said, you know, just like the, the Psalm that says, you know, rejoice and be glad. This is the day God's made, rejoice and be glad. This is the day God's made, rejoice and be glad. There's mornings I wake up and my first thing I open my eyes and say, your steadfast love has endured forever. It's gonna endure today. And as my friend Shayla would say, Lord, please remind me that nothing will happen today that you and I together cannot handle. I wanna live that life, do you? Because all this other stuff, it's important that we understand. And Solomon, I love it. He wants us to know this. Learn from his life. Learn from his wisdom. Learn from his wreckage. I want to be different. Life is a gift, therefore we remember God, right? Well, in closing, all these things that we've been learning along the way. Death is unavoidable. Enjoy it. Don't just endure it. Get out the fine china. Hey, how about that for a challenge? That's homework. Let's all like get our china out and do something real weird with it, right? Like <laughs> feed your kids chicken nuggets on it and they're gonna lose their minds, right? No paper plates this week. Put them in the dishwasher. Life is unpredictable. Don't depend on the undependable. Remember Joab's brother. Remember how fast he was? Well, he shouldn't have run in a straight line because he died with a spear, Sometimes things don't make sense. So don't depend on the undependable. Depend on God. He's the only one that we absolutely can trust. Life is uncertain. Live boldly and not fearfully. Have a but even if kind of faith, right? Life is a gift. Remember God. Now we shovel, right? We remember don't wait until you're the youngest um, you'll ever be. Don't wait because today you're the youngest you'll ever be. You do not have the luxury of time. 
If you rely on the things that are not God, you're only gonna find chaos and hopelessness and eventually bitterness. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you for lives like my friend Shayla, where she lived out of trust in you, even in the darkest days. It didn't change, it didn't falter. I wanna live that life, I wanna live that even if life, God. Show us that we can, we can boldly approach the idea that death is unavoidable and life can be unpredictable and, and cruel sometimes, honestly, God, and uncertain, but that it's a gift. You've given us a gift, a gift of now. So Father, I pray that every one of us, we remember that every breath is a second chance and we take the second chance. Who do we need to tell about you? How do we need to live differently? What, where are the places we need to get out the fine china and put the phone away? I don't know. But Father, convict us of who you are and that you are dependable even when life is not. We thank you for Solomon's words. We thank you that sometimes they're so philosophical and confusing, but the beauty is it makes us dig deeper and pray harder. Thank you for that. And so I pray for everyone who is in this room and who's watching online, just that we can have a deeper understanding of who you are, the character of who you are, how you remember us and you remember your promises to us. Father, show us how to live it out. And it's all through your son that we can thank you for all these things. In his name, amen.